Welcome to Feed the Sheep Podcast. This is your host, Ross Steele. As I always say, God is good all the time, and all the time, the devil is stupid. Here, I like to talk about things culture doesn't want to talk about. I talk about things to advance the gospel, to build the kingdom, and bless the world. Let's get right to it. Alrighty, last but not least, session six for Revision 2022 was brought by a good friend, Darren Earlywine, who uh, he actually has a podcast as well. He's an author. Um, he's the founder of Pub Theology, and he he brought the word, y'all. Um, he was, I guess, a keynote, I guess you could say. I didn't really you know, specify as keynote, but the, the Darren Earlywine podcast is the name of his podcast if you want to go pop over after you listen to this. And... Don't be afraid to to share share this podcast with somebody. If you've got somebody that's laid on your heart, y'all, just know that's not a coincidence. This is of divine origin. That's how the spirit works, and that person needs to hear whatever it is. Each you know that they come on your mind, you share it, and the spirit will take care of the rest. It's it's simple as that. Hit that share button, send it to a friend, and let them uh, experience. The, these messages, these, these, these sermons, these sessions from revision and let the spirit do the work in their hearts. It's not us who changes it. It's the spirit who moves. So dear Lord, I pray that your spirit moves today. I spirit, I pray that your, that your spirit moves in a way that, that only is explained by you, that things that we, we can't understand things we don't understand. Lord, I pray that you move in such a way that the only explanation is you, that you may be at the center of it all that you are transforming and renewing hearts, Lord, in this place. Wherever we are today, Lord, I pray over them. I pray for hedge protection. I pray for um, renewed hearts, renewed spirits. I pray for a revision focus on the cross, on Jesus, because the only way to heaven, uh, to you, Father, is through Jesus. And And I pray that that may be our focus today. It's in your name that I pray these things, always and forever. We love you, Father. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, this is the last session of Revision 22. And before we get to it, I want y'all to know there is there is going to be a Revision 2023. So be ready. Be on the lookout. You can find us on Instagram at Revision Conferences is our handle. Facebook, Revision Conference. Um, we don't have a TikTok or Twitter yet, but I'm sure we're going to be working on it. Um and make sure that you're, you're sharing this. Uh, this is for young adults, ages 18 to 30. Uh, the conference, this, this is building a community of young adults in the Indianapolis area and beyond. Whatever the Lord will do with it, he will do. And I want you all to be a part of it. So sit on down, take a breather, grab some coffee, whatever you need right now. Follow through with this last session from Revision 2022 with Darren Earlywine. Thanks, guys. It's great to be with you, uh, and hopefully we all have enough energy to, to finish out this session. This is like the, the time of day where you can't tell if you're like still excited to be here or you wish you were taking a nap, all right? So um, if I see some of you napping, I'm just going to tell myself that you're just really in the spirit at this moment, right? And we'll just, we'll just go with that. But I'm excited to be uh, a part of today and just for great things about what's going on uh, the past two days and what God's been doing and, and, and speaking through all of this and, uh, that have been a part of it. And so, so
stoked to be here. Uh, my name is Darren Earlywine. Uh, as Ross said, I've um, got I'm trying to do a lot of fun adventures with God. And, uh, and it's kind of crazy because I know when I was called into ministry in, in high school, one of my biggest fears and, and biggest hangups was that um, I really thought if I trusted God with the good stuff of my life that he was going to ruin my life. Or honestly, I felt like, I think God's going to make my life suck because uh, I, I, I'll explain about it later. But it, part of it was the, the struggles I had with the dreams that I had in my life and the stuff that I wanted to try to do uh, as, as a little kid. And uh, how many of you guys, have, when you were, maybe had a dream when you were like, like your little kid, somebody's got, you had dreams, okay, what'd you want to do? Speaker. Speaker? Awesome. Good stuff. Any other dreams? Dreamers? What'd you want to do? Marine biologists. Okay, what else? Who else? Who else? Dreams? Childhood dreams? Chef. Chef. All right. Did you just raise your hand? Okay, all right. What about you down there? Astronaut. Astronaut, right? We all have these dreams. Most of us had dreams, and some of them were, were like out of this world, right? Where it's like, like astronaut, okay? My brother kind of wanted to be an astronaut, but he was legally blind, and so was I before I had eye surgery. So it's like right off the bat when you finally have to have perfect vision, it's like, well, astronaut, pilot, whatever, it's not for me. But some of them are, are, are dreams that, that actually seem possibly attainable. And the ones that I think get really dangerous for us is when we actually have gifts and abilities that God has given us. We begin to think potentially that God gave us this dream. And we're going to walk together today through, through the story of, of Joseph in, in, the, in the Old Testament as well as a little bit of my story. Because when I was a kid I had a dream. I was in third grade and uh, I went to this uh, Christian bookstore. I was a pastor's kid. We lived down in Arizona. And uh, I, I got a, a tape, all right. Has anybody ever heard of the band Striper before? Anybody? No? Because, okay, yes. But most of you are way too young, okay. But Striper was like it. Like back in the 80s they were like one of the first big Christian rock bands to like crossover. They were on on MTV all the time, back when MTV actually played videos, and I freaking love Striper. I remember my brother and I went to the, the, this Berean Christian bookstore, we got the tape, we took it over to my mom and dad, we were like, can we buy this tape? And they saw these dudes, and they are like, absolutely not, like you're not bringing home this garbage to our house. And I don't know how my brother and I went and did it, because you can't, we couldn't research the internet, because it didn't exist, at, right, back in like 1988 or whenever this was. And Somehow we came home and convinced my parents that Striper was actually a Christian band and we could buy the, the, the tape. We bought it, we brought it home and like right off the bat, like I started taking like pencils and trying to figure out how to play and I was like, I think I was put on earth to be a drummer. And from that moment, like third grade, like from that moment this dream was all I wanted to do was be in a band and be a drummer and travel all over the world. And, and I remember my dad would be preaching and I'd be sitting in the back of the church like drawing like stage designs on like, you know, on my on the bulletins and stuff. It was all I ever thought about. So it was like, and so these guys are my heroes. And then I, I discovered these guys, Molly Crew, right? And and uh, they're coming to town here in a couple weeks. But like, like, and this guy on the, on the far side is Tommy Lee. He was like my favorite drummer. It's like, I wanted to be Tommy Lee so bad. And I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And like, but here's the problem is I wanted to like live their lifestyle. And that was like my dream, except this is what I look like. Okay, so, so <laughs> I'm the guy to the far, you know, right there. 
there. That's me. I'm not sure what my hairstyle is. Half the back is sticking up. I don't know. And then my dad probably cut the, my hair before we went to JCPenney for this picture or something, right? But like, just like cliche, you know, lame pastor's family. And, and the, the tough part for me is I was, okay, how is that guy supposed to become like the rock star guy that I felt like that God like wanted me to be and that I wanted to be so bad? And a part of it that was difficult is like, I would watch like MTV and that stuff and it was like Tommy Lee had all kinds of cars and he had all kinds of money and he had all kinds of girlfriends and then like watching my dad's life it's like we had no money our cars were crappy right and according to the Bible my dad was only allowed one girlfriend which was my mom right and praise God he followed those rules but it just became this deal where I was like how do I figure out what to do with my dreams and, and, and figure out where they start and where they stop and where God comes into that. And my guess is your story has some type of woven theme to it there of like things you sense maybe God was calling you to do or that you really wanted to do. And I think one of the difficult things for us is to get to the place where we're able to trust God with the good stuff of our life. And realize that if I actually have this great desire that's in my heart, I probably didn't come up with it on my own, but possibly it came from him. And when we pursue dreams, the reality is this. Most of them end up in one of three places. In a detour, a dead end, or a defining moment. And that's what I want to walk you guys through today is that, is that when you have these dreams that God has placed in your heart, and I do believe this very strongly, I do believe that there are currently dreams filling the heart and mind of God that he is looking for human beings who will open up their imagination and allow him to actually let you borrow the dreams that are in his heart and mind right now. And when we chase them, we usually find ourselves in either detours, defining, de detours, dead ends, or defining moments. Let's take a look at the detours first, and we'll, we'll, ch pick up with, uh, we'll pick up with our friend Joseph right off the bat. So we're looking at Genesis chapter 37, way back in the Old Testament. If you've not read the story of Joseph front to back before, I suggest that in the next month or so, jump into Genesis starting in verse 30, uh, chapter 37 and read the whole thing. It is epic. All right, so we'll jump in and we'll check it out. Here's how it starts. Genesis 37. I've never actually had the clicker while I talk, right? Which is cool, except I'm like freaking out because I'm like trying to talk to you guys, but I'm like, okay, there's it is. Let me push the button. All right, here we go. Check it out. Starts off with a great, great start here in verse five, right? Joseph had a dream. So Joseph, just like you, if you raised your hand earlier, he had a dream. He's somewhere in his late teen years. He has this dream. And the crazy part about it is he senses like, I mean, where do dreams come from? He doesn't think he just made this up, but, but God somehow is speaking to him and giving them this idea. So he has this dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen, this is the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Joseph, Joseph shares his dreams, brothers don't like it. And you can just kind of get the image with Joseph that I'm going to guess he didn't come up super humble, right? And like, guys, this may be from the Lord. I don't know what's happening, but let me share this peacefully with you, right? He's a 17-year-old punk. Anybody remember being 17 and how dumb you were? I do, right? And he had the nice colored coat from his dad. He thought he was big time stuff. He knew it was the favorite. You know he had to just come up to his brothers and be like, hey, suckers, you know I'm the favorite, right? By the way, had a dream. Bow down, right? And it 
did not go well at all as he communicated that. And I think the crazy part about these moments is, have you ever had one of those dreams where you woke up and you couldn't tell whether it was a dream or not? Right? Like you wake up and maybe you got in an argument with a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a mom, dad, neighbor, roommate, something. You wake up. You ever woken up still mad at the person who was in your dream? Right? Like you're like, how could you do that? And you're like, wait a second, we're not in Paris. That must have been a dream. Right? Like I've had that before where I've woken up and like literally been like angry with my wife. And then I'm trying to figure out, okay, we're in our bedroom. Like that dream we were in Chicago. I don't think we just transported to here. So, okay, that was a dream. And I think for Joseph, right, these things are seem very real to him, but the communication of it does not go well. So his brothers say, do you tend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Oh, do I need to keep going with this? All right, yeah, let's see here. We'll get, i got to push buttons. This is too much. I'm not that smart, all right? got to keep going. Here we go. There we go. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father this, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here's the deal. Joseph setting himself up for his first detour. And I wonder for many of you, you may have had a dream in your life, whether it was in high school, college, now post-college for, for many of you. And the first detour to that dream was the way that your friends and family talked about you and to you about this dream. A lot of times the doubts and the disbelief of those closest to us set us up for some of the first detours in our lives where God has put a vision in us. God has given us something that he wants us to accomplish. But the problems with the doubts and the unbelief and the lack of faith by people closest to us detour us from accomplishing what God has called us to do. Detours. Detours are interesting, right? If we look at the, the definition of, uh, of detours, it's this, right? A long or roundabout route that is taken to avoid something or visit somewhere along the way. Some of you right now are on a detour to the dream that God called you to. You're on a detour, you're, you're on, a, on a roundabout long kind of journey that's taking you somewhere that you probably would not have chosen to go, but that God is still in. This is what Joseph experienced. We're going to read the scripture here in a minute. But basically, if you know the story, his brothers sell him, right, into slavery to the Egyptians or to the uh, uh, Ishmaelites, and they take him down to Egypt. And, and he experiences this massive detour. And I don't know what kind of detour you're experiencing, but I guarantee you some of you are in that place right now. You had a dream you pursued. You had the way it was supposed to go. This was the way my life was going to work. And now you find yourself on a long or roundabout route that is taking you somewhere that you wouldn't have chosen on your own. This could be professionally. This could be personally in a relationship. This could be with your family of origin. This could be with college. This could be with health. I don't know your situation, but the longer I live, the more conversations I have, I don't meet very many people that haven't experienced some kind of detour moment. So Joseph is betrayed, and he finds himself in Egypt 
I want to be respectful of time and keep moving, but I just told you, 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 you go through, the, you, you know the story, right? His brothers decide, hey, let's not kill him, that'd be too bad, let's just sell him into slavery and then tell dad that he got eaten by a wild animal, uh, which is just, the, that's for another talk about families of origin and the issues that we deal with growing up, right? Um, but here's the deal. The detours we experience in life, right, are not our desired location or destination, but they're often part of God's divine plan. And that was the case here with Joseph. And I can remember my own story. I grew up in Arizona, and um, early on in life, I, I, I sensed this, this, this passion for drumming. And then when I was in high school, I felt called to ministry. But, but I was, like I said, I was terrified to trust God with, with my life. And, and part of it was this. And, and, I, and is, as a pastor's kid, we would have missionaries that would come speak at our church, right? We had a little small church, like 50 people. And when the missionaries would come speak at our church, it was really weird because, I, I don't know, they were all very, very similar. They were all very, very socially awkward, and they always wore these same four-pocket button-up shirts. I don't know if you've seen missionaries in these. I don't know if it's like you get out of missionary school and like, you are a missionary. Here's your outfit, right? And it's like a khaki shirt with the four pockets. But it was all the time. You know, I grew up in Arizona, and everybody has a pool because you're living on the surface of the sun, right? So they would always come over after their presentation and swim at our house, and it would just be like, it, it was awkward because I was like, okay, wait a second. You guys are supposed to be the pinnacle of all Jesus followers, right? Like you are in Papua New Guinea for Jesus, right? So if I'm going to really get serious about the Jesus stuff, evidently, like the Tommy Lee lifestyle is not happening because I got to get the four-pocket shirt and go to Papua New Guinea. And on top of the thing that scared me was they would always have a slideshow, right? Before there was like this kind of clicker stuff, right? There was a deer where they would, do you guys remember, I don't, you don't, okay? I need, when I talk to older adults, they're like, yeah, I remember this, but there was like a slide projector, they set this thing, and it would be like, and spin, right? And it would project, they'd always have that, and there would always be like, they'd be like, here we are, I was getting ready to do an Australian accent, but they weren't Australian, right? They were from like Ohio and Papua New Guinea, but they're like, here we are outside the camp, you know, there's the children, they'd be like, oh, this one here, this is the snake we killed outside the compound, right? And it would be like an 80 foot anaconda, you know what I mean? They'd be like, we cut it open, we found six goats and a kid, right? And it was this whole thing about how they did that. Then you'd go back to the little booth in our lobby of our church, and they'd have the snake skin there. And I'm not kidding, because I hate snakes, like, I hate snakes. And I genuinely thought, if I trusted God with my life, I'm going to Africa or Papua New Guinea, I don't even know what continent that's on, like way over there somewhere, and here's how I die. Black mamba bites me, and then anaconda consumes me. Like, that's the end, right? There's no drumming. I'm in a hut, dead by snake bite. That's how Jesus screws up your life. That's what I thought. The detour for my dream, however, was a little bit nicer. It was just Indiana, okay? So uh, I, I, I feel God calling me to ministry, and, and my detour ends up taking me to Indiana. And here's what I want you to know. Is... These detours that God takes us on, a part of it is Him trying to get us to expanding, to get us to expand our imagination. My issue with why I didn't trust God was because my imagination of what a call to ministry could look like was in a very, very small box. 
this is all I've ever seen and know about what it looks like to really follow Jesus and give him the good stuff of your life. He sends you to Papua New Guinea and you die by snake bite. Or you're a pastor in a small church of 50 people and that's it. That's the size of my imagination. What I want to encourage you to do is to begin to ask God to completely expand your imagination for what he might want to do with the call and gifting that he's placed on your life. Because I can tell you now, 44 years into living, looking backwards, God has absolutely expanded and blown my imagination for what it could actually be to follow him and to chase the dreams that are on his heart and his mind. So my, uh, my journey <clears throat> took me here to Indiana. And um, I can tell you this, wherever you're at on your detour, I promise you this, is God will waste nothing on the detour because it's all being woven into the plan that he has for your life. Literally nothing will be wasted. And we could sit down and talk for hours. You could be like, yeah, Darren, but what about this? And this sucks and I hate this and this went wrong and this and this and this. And there's no way God could have been in any of these things. And I'm going to say there's going to be a lot of those things that God did not cause, but he will not waste. He will take them and what you learn through them and weave them into the mission and vision that he has for your future. Here's the thing, it goes well for Joseph, right? Joseph gets taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And then this next verse is really, really good. Let me see if I can find it for us so we can read it here. Okay, uh, let's see here, it went there. Um, Hey, just so you guys know, next time I speak anywhere, if they ask me if I want this thing, I'm going to say never in a million years give me my own clicker. Right? This, is, this is like a video game I can't win uh, right now. Okay, so that's all old. We've already said all that stuff. Okay, let's see. Maybe this is it. There, this is what we want. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Okay, whatever detail you're on, I just want to want you to know, nothing is wasted and God is with you. Wherever this detour has taken you, whether it's here to Indiana or maybe you're about to head to Arizona, trust me, it's great out there. You'll enjoy it, okay? The good news is that, is that God was with Joseph and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and everything he owned. God was with him on that detour. My story, I come here to Indiana and, and the whole thing is I'm going to come here and we're going to put a band together, we're going we're to tour the world, and we're gonna, it's going to be amazing. And I got to Indiana Wesleyan University just up the street and before you know it we put a band together. It was awesome. We had so much fun. We ended up traveling all over the country. We were winning battle of the bands. We put together this band. We put out an album and, I, and, and for our, our, our summer between our junior and senior year of, of college uh, I booked us a 60 day tour from, from coast to coast. We played everywhere in the country. We go to camps and conferences during the week and then the weekend we play in bars all over the country. We played the, the Sunset Strip and the, uh, the Whiskey A Go Go uh, with a big famous bar in, in the Sunset Strip of, of Los Angeles where like all the big bands in my generation like Guns N' Roses and Van Halen, these guys all got their start. Like we did it and we were opening for bands like Delirious and I was like wow, like this is going to happen. God you're so good. I trusted you. We took a detour to Indiana but you did put that dream in my heart when I was in third grade. This is a amazing. It's really happening. I'm three months from graduating from college. We're talking to record companies. We're looking for apartments in Nashville. And I'm like, God is so good. Until I found myself in a massive, massive dead end for my dream. 
Joseph had the same type of moment. Joseph does everything right, right? He's like, okay, God, you know what? This worked out. I thought it was going to be the thing where I was there and my brothers are going to bow down to me, but, but we were going to go to Egypt. I didn't see that part of the dream, but you're still with me. Now I'm in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. This is kind of awesome. I don't have to deal with my brothers anyway. I couldn't stand them. They couldn't stand me. I'm in Egypt. This is pretty cool. I like it. Okay, you know what? Thank you for the detour. I get it, God. Wonderful. And I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Until... Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was really, really handsome. And she thought, you're way more handsome than my husband. Why don't we hang out a little bit more? Multiple times she made passes at Joseph and he resisted. He did the right thing. He honored God and it didn't work out for him at all. If you know the story, she tries to make an advance and he runs and she grabs his cloak and then lies and falsely accuses him of trying to rape her. Joseph did it all. He had this dream. This is the way it was supposed to go. Okay, a little detour. No, that's cool, God. But now here we go. We pick it up in verse 20. And it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. His dream is dead. I was supposed to rule, God. This is how this is going to work. You gave me this dream. I get it. But now, now I'm labeled, right? Now I've been judged. Now I'm a criminal. Now I'm accused. Now there's no way that this would ever happen. Now I'm in this dead-end moment. God, you've completely betrayed me. I did everything I was supposed to do. I followed all the rules. And here I am, wrongly accused, sitting in prison. And he sat there for years. crazy part about this dead end, and if you find yourself in it right now, is I want you to know that God's still with you. Because while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of his prison warden. If you're in a dead end moment right now, I want you to know that God's still with you. <clears throat> My dead end moment happened when it was... Um, Early, Jan early December, and we were on tour in Maryland, and um, finished the show, great crowd. We had to go there to make enough money to pay our rent for that next month. And after the show, one of the members of our band came up to us and said, guys, something happened. Someone stole, someone's ransacked the dressing room, and they've, 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 they've robbed us. And we thought, that's weird. And uh, we went and looked through all of our stuff, and our suitcases were all thrown out, and, and nothing was missing of our stuff. Our, our keyboardist had a nice, like, $500 watch. It was there. The only thing that was missing was between the, the, the front seats of our van was a cash box, and out of that cash box was missing $350. We got together and prayed for whoever had robbed us that night, said, God, be with them, and this, that. And then we went to New York City. We had a day off, and... and um, we stayed in a, a cool hotel in Times Square, and we were all excited to go sightsee around Times Square. And so we did that, and the next day, we were going to drop this band member off, and he, he was going to go back to the, his home state for, for Christmas break. And two members of our band just had some kind of sense in, in their spirit that something was wrong, that this didn't add up. And so they began going through this member's suitcase, and as they were looking through his clothes, they grabbed a sock, and they squeezed the sock, and it was the sound of cash. 
They turned the sock inside out, and sure enough, there was the money. Fast forward a month later, he said, hey, listen, I had some issues with money for Christmas presents, and I, I just did something I shouldn't have done, but I've got help. It's going to be okay. And then we came back to school, and within the first week of us being back at school, I woke up at 6 a.m. with a knock on my apartment door with two officers asking me to come next door to the house that had been robbed. I walked next door to the house, and our DVD players laying in the front yard, the TV's on its front, nothing's broken, it's just kind of ransacked, and the only thing missing from the house is cash. And as we're talking to the officers that day, one of them says, you know what, guys, we're going to be really honest with you. We think one of you guys did this. And we looked back to the officer and said, you know what, so do we. One of my best friends betrayed us all stole money from us, lied, and we didn't know how long that had been going on. And for me, this dream that I had had since I was in third grade, I was three months away from graduating college. It was all supposed to work. God was so good. He was wonderful. It was great. It was all dead. I was betrayed by one of my best friends, and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life, and nothing made any sense. And you might be there right now. You might be there right now, and if you are, I want you to know that God is with you. And I think when we get into these dead-end moments, what we really want to know is why. God, why did you let this happen? God, why were they like this? God, why, 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 why? And here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know that we ever really find out why. And if we did, I don't know that it would necessarily heal us. What I discovered in this dead-end moment of my life, and I think Joseph discovered in these dead-end moments of his life, and I hope you discover in these dead-end moments of your life, is when you can't get your mind or your heart around the why, you have to begin to focus on the who. And the who is who he is in who you are because you are in him. Because when you can do that, what he can begin to do is he can begin to do the work that only he can to sanctify your heart through the pathway of suffering. And guys, I'm, I'm 44 years old now, so I'm, I'm just a little bit, or if you're like 20-something, I realize now, like, I'm a freaking old guy, and you guys are like, what's up with the dad that's here? Uh, which is cool. I get it. I am a dad, and I have an 18-year-old son, which is mind-blowing, right? But I can tell you this. Life is painful, and you're not going to escape it. And I'd like to say that you're going to learn some of the greatest things in your life out of your biggest successes, but you're not. You're going to have the opportunity to have the most sanctifying processes of your life through the suffering that you walk into, whether you create it yourself, someone else creates it, or God just allows it to happen. And, and I, I don't want that to be the story. I want the story to be like, it's just awesome. You follow Jesus and it's like rainbows and unicorns and cotton candy all the time. But it's not. There's going to be struggle, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering, and it is an opportunity to see God sanctify out of you what only suffering can do so that you're ready to actually take on what he's calling you into.
Man, it was in those moments, I remember we had to go to counseling. We had to choose to forgive. And you may be here, and, and, and the death of your dream may be connected to an individual. Could be a family member. Could be an ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, mom, dad. I don't know. But someone may be involved in killing your dream, and I want to tell you this. The only way you get out of this dead end is through forgiveness. Some of you may be struggling because you can't actually point the finger at anyone else. The reality is you self-sabotaged your own dream. You partied too hard at IU and you failed out. Whatever your thing is, and one of the most difficult people to forgive in these dead-end moments is right here. To have the courage to become compassionately curious about what was going on and learn to forgive yourself as completely and totally as Christ has forgiven you. The interesting thing about forgiveness is that, is that it happens in a moment, but what, here's how I experienced it. It, is when, it was when my, my, my best friend in this band did this. Like We went through some counseling, and those first few months we forgave him. We realized we have to let this go. We can't allow bitterness to take root and ruin our souls. So we forgave. But you know what happened for the next probably decade? I would forgive him again, and then I would forget that I would forgave him because I wanted to punch him in his mouth. And then I would forgive him again, right? And then I would forgive him again, and then I would drive somewhere and I'd see a tour bus. This still happens to me today. That's like my triggering moment. Like I see a tour bus and for me when I see tour buses driving around, I say this, that was the life I was supposed to have lived. And you, as you live, may have triggering moments where you see things, you experience things, and it reminds you of the life you felt like you were supposed to live. That's the way it was supposed to be. And for me, what I had to do for about a decade is when I would see tour buses, I'd have to forgive them again. The good news is, as I continued to choose to forgive him, Christ continued to do work in my life, and now I have peace with it, and you can too. And when you get to those moments, what it becomes is these dead ends, these detours can actually lead you to a defining moment. It worked for Joseph, right? We'll fast forward through because I'm checking the time here, right? Two full years pass as Joseph's in prison. And I can't imagine this, right? He was actually there for longer than that because he was there and then he interpreted some dreams for some bros. Then they totally forgot about him. And then two more years elapsed. So here he is, two years sitting in prison, completely innocent. He's thinking, where does this dream that God gave me as a kid? There's no way I get from here rotting away in a prison to there to where God has me. But God did a lot of work in his life during this two years. And so what happens is, this is the cool part. Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream and he sends for Joseph. And, when he, and he quick, was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And just think about how this would have gone probably with 17-year-old Joseph, Mr. I have a dream, Mr. Technicolor dream coat, right? Here's Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the country, being, I heard about you. You, you're good, right? You're good. You do, but you're awesome, aren't you? It's you. You're, you're the star, right? I think young him, unsanctified through the process of suffering him, says, that's right, it's me. You called the right bro. Sit down. Let me show you how it goes, right? It would have been about him. But I love what Joseph says here. Let me get it for you so you can see it too. 
when two years pass, right? We're going to skip past that. He says this, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't do it. I can't do it, but I know a God who can. I've learned in this prison to, to get to a place where I have trusted that God is with me even in the detour. He's with me even in the dead end and nothing is going to be wasted in my life. He's going to weave it around for his glory and for my great joy. And I've learned to trust this God and I know that he is great and I am not. And here's the deal. I can give you what you need. I can help you, but it's not me doing it. It's God doing it through me. And when we can choose forgiveness and humility in the process of finding ourselves in dead ends, they set us up for defining moments. This was a defining moment for, for, for Joseph. And he had multiple more defining moments that go on where he chose to forgive. He allowed God to do the work he would, that he wanted to do. And here's what happened. Here's the cool part. God used Joseph in the detour to Egypt, everything he did here to, if you know the whole story, to save God's people because a famine came, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and people were dying because they had no food. God raised up Joseph, put him in charge of all of Egypt, not only to save the Egyptian people, but he saved God's people in the process. He brought reconciliation to his brothers, and he brought healing to his entire family. Now here's the crazy part. Do you realize that Joseph didn't actually have to do that? Like I think sometimes we read Bible stories and we read them like that's the way it had to be. Like that happened and that's the way it was going to be and God made that happen. I don't think that's the case. I think here's what could have happened. Joseph's in prison for two years. He's pissed at God. He hates his brothers. He hates Pharaoh's. He hates Potiphar's wife. He hates everybody. He's just sulking in how his life is not working out the way he thought it was going to work. He doesn't forgive anybody and he dies a bitter man in jail. Honestly, that's the way the story could have ended. And here's the, here's the, here's the, the, the sad part, and I think even greater sadness is this, is God's people would not have perished. You realize that, right? Like God was not going to not take care of his people. Here's what he would have done. He would have raised up another man or another woman to live Joseph's dream. Here's what I don't want for you. If you're in a detour or a dead end right now and you're holding on to a lot of bitterness, you're holding on to a lot of angst, you're holding on to a lot of unforgiveness, let it go. Because you have been created on purpose and for purpose by God. You are the workmanship of Christ, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. But if you cannot trust God into the process and embrace the, uh, the, the, the purifying process of forgiving and allowing him to humble you in the process, you could miss fulfilling the dreams that you've been put on earth to do. They will get done because God will raise someone else up, but don't let anyone live the dream that God created you for. Step into that defining moment. For me, it came like this, and I'll, I'll end with this. So I'm walking to class after all this happened, and um, 
Once again, Arizona, I still hate Indiana winters, but I'd only been here for four years, so I really hated Indiana winters. So I'm walking to class, and it's, it's the first of January. It's as cold as it could ever be, and it starts to, it starts to, to do some like the freezing rain sleet. Do you guys know what, what freezing rain and sleet is? Do you know, right? I did some research on it, and I actually took some sleet, and I put it under a microscope. Some people think you just see frozen ice, but they're wrong. They're actually, if you look close enough with a microscope, sleet is actually small pitchforks from the devil that he actually sends. He sends demons and they actually begin trying to kill, they're trying to kill you with small pitchfork demon ice sickles is actually what sleet is. And so when they say there's going to be a wintry mix, what it means is spiritual warfare has come upon <laughs> our area. It's time to pray. Okay. I hated it. It was terrible. I'm walking to class and I'm mad at God and I'm, it's sleeting. I'm like, you have ruined my life. This detour to this godforsaken Midwestern frozenness. I have no band. I have no dream. I have nothing. I trusted you with everything. And you've screwed up my life, Jesus. And as I'm walking with the sleep, the Holy Spirit says this. Do you want to leave too? Interesting question. Do you want to leave too? Well, see, <clears throat> that moment became a miraculous moment because I still decided to stay in the mundane relationship disciplines, even though I was mad at God. So the night before my devotions, I was reading John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, all these people are following Jesus because it's going to be awesome. He gives us free food and he's probably going to kick out the Romans. And what's going to be awesome? Jesus is great. Following Jesus is the best. And then Jesus steps up and he says, hey guys, here's the deal. Uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And people are like, this bro's crazy, right? And it says multitudes of people leave. And the disciples have to be really freaking out. Like, Jesus, we left everything. I don't know if you know. Like, everybody thinks we're psycho because we're like your guys. And and we thought this is the deal, like, and we were maybe going to be like the 12 guys in charge of everything, and we had this big dream, Jesus, about what you were supposed to do, and you didn't say anything about cannibalism when you, when you told us that we were going to fish, you know, fishers of men. We didn't know you meant we were going to fish them, and then we were going to eat them. You're wacko, right? They don't get it, and, and then in this moment, they're all leaving, and we know Jesus was foreshadowing communion. They didn't. They were having a dead-end defining moment. But what happens is Jesus looks at the twelve as all the multitudes are leaving because they don't like where this detour is taking them. And he says to the twelve, do you want to leave too? And in that moment when the demon icicles are trying to kill me, I hear that and I know what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Darren, this is a defining moment for you right now. I know your dream is dead. And I know you don't know how this works. And I know that you're upset. And if you want to leave, you can. And that's a dangerous moment for us, guys, right? Because he won't force you to keep following him. If you're in a dead-end moment, you can leave if you want. But in my mind was what Peter's response to Jesus was. And as I said these words back to Jesus, walking in that sleet storm, the ice began to melt on my face as tears streamed out of my eyes. And I said, Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life, 
and I have come to believe and I know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says to the disciples, have I not chosen you? See, friends, when you're in these dead-end moments, you're going to have these defining moments where you're going to have to just trust and declare who Jesus is and who you believe him to be. And I want you to know that he will affirm that he has chosen you. You are called. You are chosen. You are the righteousness of Jesus Christ created in him. You are the children of God. You are the salt and the light of the earth. You are the ambassadors of God as if he was making his appeal through you. And you have a calling on your life. And it will take you through detours. You will find yourself at dead ends. And you will have these defining moments where you have to decide, will I keep following? Will I forgive? Will I surrender? And when you do, you will find yourself stepping into the dreams of God. There are currently dreams filling the heart and the mind of God. These dreams will create the future that we will live in. That's going to happen. The question is, are we going to be the people that join with Jesus and create the future with him? I hope we do. Stand with me. Lord, I thank you so much for this generation. I thank you so much for this conference. I thank you for the vision that was shared yesterday, throughout the day today. And God, I thank you for the dreams that you place in every one of these um, every one of these individuals and maybe right now God they think like I had this dream too dear when I was like in fourth or fifth grade and I don't see how any of it's ever going to work out God I pray that you would give them the, the, the faith in you to know that that there was a seed that was placed in them and maybe they couldn't see it exactly the way it was supposed to work out when they were a kid but there was a seed and you're taking them in a detour right now and you're not wasting any of the things that they're learning you're weaving it together the fabric of their life. Father, I pray for those that are in a dead-end moment right now, that are, that are in despair, that, that, that are depressed, that, that, that are hurting. I pray, God, that you would meet them with your love and your compassion, that you would, you would sanctify their heart to allow them to get to the place where they could forgive others, forgive themselves, to let go of bitterness, to let you do the work that only you can do, Father, so that they can step into the next defining moment that you have for them and take their next step to become who you have created them to be. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being the one true living God that actually invites us to join you to create the future. And I pray, God, as a result of this conference that, that a future for Hamilton County and the surrounding communities, Father, would be created through the lives, through the servanthood, through the imagination of people in this room. Thank you for listening to Feed the Sheep this week. May the Spirit be within you, may it be upon you to embolden you in your faith to go out and advance the gospel to build the kingdom and bless the world.